Hi everyone and thank you so much for tuning into Grow With Grief, a podcast that aims to make the uncomfortable comfortable and open up the conversations around grief and loss. My name is Katrina and together we will be hearing different stories from different people, how grief has impacted their life and what they've learned from it. And together we will create a community that normalizes the conversations around grief and loss. Today I am talking with Lindsay Joy Taylor, who is a grief advocate and founder of the Joyful Jewelry Box. Lindsay's mum died when she was only 13 months old, so now she keeps her mother's memory alive by serving other bereaved people with grief support and remembrance jewellery. She also writes and speaks to normalise and raise awareness about grief, loss and trauma. This was such an insightful and honest conversation and I honestly can't wait for you all to hear it. And don't forget to let us know if any of this resonated with you. So hello, Lindsay. Thank you so much for coming on today to speak with us. How are you today? I'm good, Katrina. How are you doing? I am wonderful, thank you. Looking forward to having a chat with you and hearing your story. I've actually only heard bits of it here and there. So um, I'm really looking forward to hearing the full thing. So just to get started, would you be able to give a brief background into your journey and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So my name is Lindsay Joy Taylor and I am the owner of the Joyful Jewelry Box. And I make and sell remembrance jewelry to help you honor and remember your loved ones. And I provide online grief support as a um, an offshoot of that. And my personal connection to that is, you know, my own grief story, my own personal journey, which has honestly been lifelong, if you will. Um, So my first experience with death and grief was very early on. My mother was murdered when I was only one year old. So when I was looking at your email and thinking about the questions in terms of, you know, my first experience of grief and loss, you know, it starts out right away for me. And yet um, I hesitate to use the word delayed Um, clinical sense. You know, I think that logistically speaking, um, just the nature of her death and developmentally speaking, you know, it just really didn't take hold and take space in my life until much later um, in the traditional grief sense, I would say. Um, so I don't remember her dying, obviously. I don't have any memories of her. Um, and as a result of that, I don't really necessarily have a memory of being told. Um, I just grew up with an understanding that I didn't have a mother and that was not unusual for me. Um, Certainly I noticed the difference in my experience of my family, you know, my family structure compared to other people, but I still didn't necessarily know any different. And so a lot of those things didn't really take place um, in direct relation to my mom until later, Um, which is sort of what I just said, but (laughs) um, in the way of like, child, it was much more survival based, I would Mm -hmm. say. Certainly it was a hard childhood. That's what the distinction I will make. Um, It was still filled with trauma and a lot of turmoil, um, but it was more about the immediate circumstances and less about her. That's more of what I mean. Um, And so just to give some insight about my family structure, my parents were married when she died, when my mom died. Um, And I had two older siblings. I have an older brother He's nine years older than me, and I have an older sister who's seven years older than me. Um, So we were all children, obviously, um, but they do have some memories of my mom. They're very minimal, Um, and so in no way am I 
creating a comparison. It's just very different in, in the literal experience of that they can put a face to the name or put a face to the role of who she was in their life. And I, and I can't. Um, and yet we still all very much relate to what it's like to lose um, someone so significant and to experience something so traumatic and to um, endure death and grief and, and whatnot at such a, a young age. Um, and so then shortly after that, my dad did remarry, um, but she was not around for very long and that wasn't a positive experience. And then fast forward a little bit and I would say I really probably started to understand grief more personally, maybe in like eighth grade when the, when the milestones started to hit in, in the way that, um, you know, I think for children, you know, growing up, there's a lot of milestones for the parents, but not necessarily for the kids. You know, I don't necessarily care that I'm going from second to third grade or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but once the milestones of like me graduating from um, grammar school into high school, things like that, when those types of milestones started to take place is really when I started to feel a massive void and really understand um, that there was a big portion of my life that I wasn't paying attention to, I think is mm -hmm. a good way to put it. Yeah. And yeah. Do you, did you at the time recognize that that was your grief or did you just think that it was that it was this feeling that you had, like, could you distinguish between, between the two? Mm -hmm. um, no, yes and no. I think, um, so I actually made some notes about this because I wanted to make sure I touched on that the next one question, but there's something I'm looking over here to make sure. Um, I think because I didn't know life any differently, I couldn't distinguish what was grief and what was normal life, right? Like as an infant, I think, and then throughout life, um, you know, I didn't necessarily protest externally. I really just shut down. I think that I I understood the trauma in the environment and knew that I probably wasn't going to get what I needed. And so I really just sort of shut that down. Um, put my head down and sort of just mm -hmm. figure things out or get things done, if you will. And so um, there was a period of like, as I became older and, and trying uh, or getting to know myself and become a person as I developed, um, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of um, aggressive energy. I hesitate to use the word aggressive, but big, strong energy that really a lot of kids couldn't relate to. I don't even necessarily think that I could relate to it, you know? And so it wasn't until I got older and started to almost see myself sometimes in my reflections with other people in both positive and negative ways you know when I would see my, the fun joyful parts of me those wouldn't line up with sort of this other overwhelming view that I had of myself um, and so I think that I always knew that something was going on there but I think I like I said a little bit ago, I think that I thought it was more of like unhappiness with my circumstances, mm -hmm. you know, feeling frustrated with like the disconnections in my home or um, the lack of attention to really everything about <laughs> this, you know, this massive piece of our life and it got very little attention. Um, 
And so it wasn't until I got older that I started to tease those pieces out in terms of um, who am I really? Like, is that, is that fit in my heart or in my gut, whether it's, you know, a positive or negative trait, I don't hesitate to use negative, but um, is that stemming from some other place? And then I, you know, probably wasn't even until my 20s when I started to pull those threads apart to be able to distinguish what was grief from what was just me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that can be so hard to do sometimes because it can feel like your grief defines who you are when actually it's a part of you, but it doesn't make you all of you. And absolutely, it can take a long time to be able to, even, even now, you know, still figuring it out, still figuring out which parts of you are you that would have been you all along if, if you hadn't had to experience this trauma and which parts mm-hmm. of you as a result of the trauma and how you've developed and moved through that. Um, exactly. So did you, if you don't mind me asking, did you have any sort of support to, to be able to move through that and pick things apart or was it something that you just kind of worked through on your own? Yes and no. So I would say in growing up, I had two pivotal figures. Um, Actually, I want to back up. There was some other, or there's one other piece that I wanted to say, um, and you just touched on it as well. But another piece of that, like I was thinking about with your mother loss, that I mean, you were still young. I mean, um, I get that there's a difference between infancy and teenaging, teenager, but um, you were still a kid. You were still young. So I, I appreciate that you relate to sort of that, the def- the defining piece there. But for me, um, what sort of took that to a whole nother level or a whole nother, I don't know, um, confusing part was that it all happened before I was even talking, right? This trauma is pre-verbal. So as much as I have all sorts of things to say about everything, um, it's so funny. I almost feel like I can never capture it in words. And I think most grievers probably feel that to some degree. We do the best that we can um, with the, the limitations that we have of language, but and that's another piece that like all of those experiences, like I literally never had a verbal expression of it. Right. And so that's another piece that's very like, it feels all tangled up into who I literally am. Um, so that was one piece. And then, you know, and a lot of that was because of the ruptured attachment from my mom. You know, my, my father was present, but certainly my mom was my primary attachment figure. And um, I don't think that I, um, healthfully attached to my dad in any way after that however I definitely did with my sister my sister really stepped in and took on the mother role for me um, which I am forever indebted to her and so grateful um, you know and it creates all sorts of complications too we have as um, we're very very close as sisters but then we also have this mother-daughter dynamic that's really tricky to sift out sometimes um, a lot of roles happening in one relationship there. Um, but she was so significant in really just helping me, just being my mirror. She was really affirming for me and really just someone I could always depend on. And the other person was one of my mom's sisters, um, one of my aunts. I was really close to her. Um, and so to clarify, at the time when my mom was killed, we lived in the area. We stayed in the area for about six more years, and my aunt was local. So she stepped in. She helped with the family a lot. 
Um, I spent a lot of time with her. And then even after we moved, I would always go visit her um, for school vacations and all that kind of stuff. Um, and what's funny about our relationship is that, you know, she has had her own long emotional health journey as well. Um, and as I was growing up, you know, she was a very pivotal role model for me, but it was right on the cusp of her digging through her journey and um, the codependent movement. And so I really grew up hearing a lot about codependency and, and having her encourage me in expressing my feelings. And at the time it was awful. I remember being just having these knockdown drag out arguments about whatever. Um, and yet now I really so strongly attribute my ability to communicate any of my feelings, especially based on what I've already said um, to her and, and that it was, that it mattered and that it was important even if people didn't understand. Um, and so they were really crucial throughout all of it. You know? That's, I think it's, it's so important that we can find a support network around us. And we're fortunate that both of us have, have that. Not everybody does have access to that. Um, but, you know, I, for, for me, my sister is, how old is she? She's like four, four or five years older than me. And she very much took oh, on that okay. motherly role um, as well. And we have that bit of a weird... <laughs> we're dynamic at times and it's something I'm so grateful for, but as well, it, you know, it, it impacts. I think yeah. I'm so grateful that I've with my sister, which maybe I wouldn't have had before. Um, that mm -hmm. it, yeah, it can create a bit of, bit of complications sometimes along the way. Definitely. You know, and I think there's a lot, um, I think we're human. It's normal to have expectations in relationship and I can't speak for you and, and I can't speak for, you know, our older siblings, but for me personally, you know, I can definitely recognize when I've had expectations that were so understandable, but they don't feel entirely fair, right? And trying to hold pieces for all of that. Um, and then two, the complex changing of it, right? Yeah, I think I love how you said how, you know, maybe it brought you closer together. And then there might be seasons where um, the shifting that, you know, you're nostalgic for different seasons that don't exist anymore. That's been a fascinating part of my journey right feeling nostalgic for really painful parts of my life because of other circumstances that that were there mm. at the time you know other positive circumstances so anyway I just appreciate that I have not quite talked to anybody who can relate in that way so I didn't realize um that your journey was so similar that way yeah yeah it's it's nice to find similarities even if your stories are different um, it's nice to find those similarities and know that you're not not alone in it. So, how yeah. how has your trauma and grief impacted your adult life? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny. I was starting to think about this early points, and then I sort of realized, I, in what way has it not? You know, that feels like a dramatic answer, and yet in every way he has been through my relationships um you know i touched on this a few minutes created you know attachment trauma it created a lot of um so i actually do have complex btsd and so another term for that is relational trauma basically the trauma of losing my primary figure um just to clarify that for your audience but um 
And so that carries over into my adult life everywhere, you know? Um, it's interesting. I feel like the more that I learn about it, people experience it most in their romantic relationships. And certainly there's challenges in my marriage and in our relationship that stem to that, but we're very aware of it. It's funny. I'm actually struggle more with it in my friendships and my familial relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that I touched on again a minute ago, the expectations, you know, it's really, um, I'm both anxious and avoidant. I'm not necessarily clingy. I sort of freak out if you're clingy. Um, I freak out if you're undependable. I freak out if, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's just sort of, um, it just creates a lot of angst for me. Um, Relationships are part of, you know, one of the goal would be for for most of us to have our relationships be one of the most fulfilling parts of our life, right? And they are, and yet they're also one of the most challenging parts of my life, right? Um, I also deal with a lot of physical symptoms, you know, because of that sort of numbing disconnection that, you know, that I get as a child. Um, I deal with a lot of, all of it sort of just comes out physically. So I have a lot of um, headaches, nausea, shivers, back problems, you name it, just, um, and not in the way that like every day I'm on the ground, but just all this kind of unexplainable stuff, you know, I've tested, ruled out kind of all these things. And we always sort of knew it was going back to um, these emotional responses. Um, You know, another thing too, is in terms of my mom and, um, and the PTSD piece, and while I, I specified that it's much more relational, another piece that a lot of people have is flashbacks. And clearly that's not part of my experience. And yet what I do have is a lot of intrusive thoughts about um, thoughts, but more about, although those certainly slip in there too, but more about just the whole experience, you know, her dying alone, the way that she died, um, living in the house afterwards, growing just all the pieces of it you know I feel like there's an entire lifetime that I'm still just integrating all those pieces so it's not so much flashbacks but just very much like you could be going about your day and you bombarded with whatever you know very much like grief attacks grief waves um and I'd say you know a lot of this daily like there's not a day goes by that I don't necessarily think about it maybe as a kid um I did but I was thinking about other hard things, you know, but now as an adult, there's just constantly this, um, bad ways. Um, and I think this is natural in grief, you know, constantly wondering, is she proud? Am I doing her memory justice? Kind of all of those things. Right. And so naturally my work, and maybe you can relate to this too now with podcasts and whatnot, but you know, I, I already have it personally and then now I have it professionally. And so it's, you know, very infused in, in literally every day. So, yeah. And I think what you said there at one point about it coming out in physical symptoms as well is so important because a lot of the time people assume that grief is just an emotion that we feel and Mm -hmm. that's it. Whereas actually, Mm -hmm. you know, more often than not, we do feel these physical symptoms that can carry on through the rest of our lives. So I think it's really important that you've highlighted that and um, touched on it. So can you explain just a little bit about your I'd love to know more about your business and for people to listen mm-hmm. who are listening to hear about it and how you decided to start sharing your message through through that yeah 
Thank you for asking. So part of it is, you know, I always start by saying it's funny because it was a stepping stone of all sorts of random circumstances. And then, you know, now here I am and it just feels like a big full circle. Um, you know, the short version is I always <clears throat> grew up knowing that I wanted to help people in some way, shape or form. I don't think that I recognize based on everything I said, of course, um, that it was grief related per se, but I was interested in psychology in high school. I knew I wanted to study that. I knew I wanted to move into um, advocacy, facilitating mental health in some way, um, but I didn't really know what that was gonna look like. Um, fast forward, I put myself through school um, and I worked while I was going through school and um, I had a really got good job when I graduated and I sort of just got sucked into the industry. Um, the title and escrow industry. Um, and after several years, it just was not doing the trick anymore. And I just knew it was time to go back to school and sort of pursue this other avenue um, after school. And so I actually did go, um, <clears throat> got my master's in counseling psychology because I thought that I wanted to pursue licensure as a counselor. And in the program, I decided this is not a right fit. <laughs> this is not the right fit um mostly kind of because of that relational piece I talked to you about you know I'm much more of an advocate I'm much more a facilitator of hard conversations um bringing things out into the open that relational piece is it's hard for me um weathers me over time you know um and so all that to say, I ended up doing advocacy work for a mental health association and I loved it. And unfortunately the funding for my position ended right at the time that we bought a house, we had moved, the dog had had surgery, kind of all of this life stuff, right? So it was literally, um, as far as my jewelry shop goes, um, it started out as a, a necessity to fill this really tough season in terms of how could I support my family and be flexible and be here. Um, and I connected with another local jewelry designer yada yada um and as I was doing as I got into the shop and sort of figured could see that this had more of a more of a life a longer term life than I thought you know I really wanted to bring in that piece with me and I really wanted to bring in that that heart that um that emotional piece to serve people right and so through thinking about how could I bridge the gap of all of these pieces um that as a kid uh, something that I used to do without even thinking about it for years was playing my mom's jewelry box um, not even like dress up but it was like my treasure chest you know that I would go pick and pull all my favorite different pieces and hide them in all the you know my little kid spots and so you know now as an adult with perspective I can understand I mean naturally that's a kid thing to do but that that was my way of connecting with her so that was my way of understanding who this person was and um, who this belonged to and how that connected to me, right? And so that felt sort of like a full circle, whoa, um, I'm doing this meaningful, significant thing already and I didn't even necessarily realize it. Even, um, even though I wasn't serving people in the grief support way yet, but really kind of reconnecting to those roots, you know, those, those child roots that we don't even necessarily understand how we're comforting ourselves at the time. Mm -hmm. That it was time to kind of bridge all those pieces together and start to be more transparent about who I was and why this was important to me and um, 
And another important piece that I like to share about my name, the Joyful Jewelry Box, um, you know, for somebody who's fresh in Greece, they might sort of scratch their head and say, what the hell? <laughs> There's nothing really joyful about grief. I don't understand the connection here. So my middle name is Joy. Um, and when I was born, my family was in the middle of a really challenging season. And so the story goes that it was really important to my mom that my middle name be Joy to sort of represent the, the capacity for, um, for joy in hard times even, right? And so as a kid, I, I didn't grasp that at all. As a teenager, I really sort of resented it as they articulated that I was, you know, sort of a resentful, jaded kind of kid um, or teenager. Um, and then as an adult, and I started to really pick apart this, pick apart, but as I started to really explore my grief, um, that was when I really started to understand the real weight of the meaning behind it, right? And so that's why not only is it honoring her and her message and her mantra in the name, but sort of bridging the gap of all of those pieces that certainly, <clears throat> certainly not in the beginning and even in the beginning, sometimes, you know, I hear from other people, we can be surprised with little glimpses of joy. And I really believe that those can carry us through all mm the junk you know yeah I think that's beautiful I never knew the meaning behind that name and I really oh, like thank it you. <laughs> it's a really thank you it's a really personal name for you but also I think it gives a really good message just to, to everybody else it's a gift that everybody else can see and use as well um oh, and thank you by, I've had a, you know I've had a look at your your work and I've got a list of things I'm trying to decide which one I want um, <laughs> so it's just, I love it it's such a lovely way to reflect and remember that person and and relate what you're what you're getting to the to the person that you're trying to honor through through the jewelry and through the piece of work that you're you're providing and I've seen you also do stuff for pets as well which I love Thank you. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, it's got to do it for us, our, our pet parents. Yes, like us. I mean, you know, for anybody, but, you know, especially for, you know, people who, I mean, everybody, pets are family. But, you know, like I said, I don't plan on having children. So he really genuinely is my child. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's, and it, that, that the grief can come in so many different forms. So, you know, for, for one person who maybe they've, they've been on their own and all they've ever had is a cat dog, you know, that is their life. And you know, that when, when that pet is no longer there. So I think that's really lovely that you do that. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and another piece too, is that so often that the animals, you know, um, if that's not their first loss, so often the animals have been, you know, one of the things that have helped them through earlier loss. And so that can yeah. compound it too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Definitely. So, what has been your biggest lesson that has come from your journey? I think mainly that so much of what we're told and what we absorb about grief is not true. <laughs> um, you know, and it's interesting because I realize that we don't really, you can't know until you're in it, right? Um, until you've gone through it. And yet I think, you know, still as... <clears throat> young adults and beyond, there's still an element of um, that, that you've absorbed messages from the world, right? There's still an understanding of, 
of um, for a lot anyway, you know, that there's a timeline to it or that there's stages or the time heals all wounds or insert whatever phrase that you've heard. And so if you haven't been through it, I feel like, you know, we latch on to some of those things and that's our expectation ahead of time, right? And so um, it's funny because I was thinking I didn't have that and yet I still went through that. It sort of absorbed all of that while it was happening. Um, and so it still took just as much hold, um, you know, and then it wasn't until I grew up and I think it was my late teen years was when I fit, first picked up the book, Motherless Daughters. And, you know, I'm to this day, I'm so grateful for that resource and, and for hope building that community and, and naming that. It was such a need. And yet there was still this part of me, I didn't see myself in there anywhere. I still didn't relate to anybody's stories. Um, and again, that's nobody's fault. I mean, you know, my particular experience is pretty unique. And yet I don't think it's as rare as I thought that it was. Um, and so ultimately, I really just started to pay attention to the part of me that said, this is all bullshit. <laughs> I don't believe any of this, right? Uh, why would I not feel so heartbroken over the fact that not only that I don't have my own mother, but that I never got to know her, that I can't even fucking remember her, excuse me, but right, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the grief piece. Like there's pieces where you're just like, all of this crap that I've heard is not true. Uh, and once I gave myself permission to sort of change my mind or change the um, way I think about grief or how I look at it, that was probably the most pivotal piece of um, my journey in terms of what I learned, that I didn't have to do it the other way, the way that other people were telling me that it had to be, is what I mean. Um, that I could honor their process and still know that mine was different. Yep. You know, that it could be room for all of us, that it was going to look different for all of us. You know, and another piece of that was that it gave me a lot more um, compassion, right? That's still a double-edged sword, but it gave me a lot of compassion for the grief, the, um, the grief responses that I have seen that, that I didn't understand in the past or that I wasn't compassionate for, or that I felt judgmental of, or, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but basically just that, you know, that we have it all wrong, you know, yeah. in terms of um, the big societal messages that everybody latches onto, it's all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have to 100% agree with you there. It's, I think sometimes those messages of, you know, um, it gets better with time and time heals all wounds and all of these sayings. I think sometimes especially when we've not experienced it, we say them because they make us feel better about what to expect when it comes around. When in actual fact, we probably need somebody to sit down and say to us, do you know what? It's going to feel shit most of the time. <laughs> like just be honest about it and don't be afraid of acknowledging that it's going to be hard. You know? Or when people say, um, when does it get better? And you just, your heart just sort of explodes. You yeah. say it doesn't. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to be the most honest bearer of bad news. And it'll change. You know what I mean? You're not going to be on the floor crying for the rest of your life. You are meant to get through this. You are strong enough to get through this. It's going to feel horrible. But you weren't designed to go through these experiences without the capability to survive them. Right? Um, that doesn't excuse them. That doesn't make them okay. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so we just need to change that. We need to that's and I think that's what we're all trying to do in this community is let people know that that's not the way that it is and that we all feel this pain, but you can move through it, you can live with it still mm -hmm. and thrive even with that with that pain in you. Um mm -hmm. and that's okay. And yeah. The way you the way you process your own grief is your journey and the way that you process it is fine as well. There's no expectation of how you should do it. For sure. So if you could give any piece of advice to someone who is grieving right now, what would that be? If if it's one or two different words of advice, however many you choose. You know, actually, I feel like I just said this a minute ago, but um, don't expect to get over your grief. You know, instead, I encourage you to build a relationship with it. Um, and that feels sort of terrifying and scary because who wants to take time to like explore those scary, hard, gut-wrenching feelings? And yet that's really the only way that we can move through them. It's sort of what we were talking about earlier about grief being a really physical experience. Emotions are a physical experience. When we cry, literally we have a physical response. You know, <laughs> you know, when your heart's broken, you literally feel chronic ache in your chest. You know what I mean? And so, um, and so I really just encourage people to explore all of those different pieces. How does it take shape in your life? How is it taking, how is it manifesting? in your life is it inside is it outside are you paying attention to it is it starving for your attention um you know i think so often we internalize all those messages that we talked about and we think that we're broken we're stuck we're crazy um we judge all these really horrible bad feelings because there's no safe places to ha feel them and have them and explore them um you know and human tendency isn't super willing to go there <laughs> You know, we have to nudge ourselves to say, no, this is important. This is work that has to be done, even if you don't want to. Um, so that's always my biggest encouragement is really not to, um, you know, this feels like a generic statement that a lot of people have made, but don't ignore it. Don't stuff it. But beyond that, really sort of say, I'm inviting you into the room. What do you want to tell me? Um, that to me was, and kind of just linking back to my last answer, but really just changing that relationship and changing what I believed about not only grief, but my, who I am in my grief and releasing that judgment of, of what I think I, it needs to be. Um, and I think you might be surprised to see the ways, it's not gonna go away, it's not a magic answer, that doesn't mean it's gonna hurt less or any of those things, I just think it might, um, surprised to see the way it shows up differently you know mm -hmm. or not even differently but more of um in more manageable ways because now you know what it is mm -hmm. you know what I mean we've named it we've brought it out into the room it's not this shameful thing that was swept under the rug I'm a grieving human I have had needs it's okay to take some time and attention to serve those needs you know so yeah yeah Amazing. Uh, really good advice there. Really good advice. Something I wish I had been told 10 years ago. Um, so it's great that you're able to share that with, with others now. So how can people connect with you? So I've loved, absolutely loved talking with you. Absolutely loved hearing your story. Um, how can people connect with you if they want to maybe carry on the conversation or have a look at your jewelry and, and pieces of remembrance? 
Yeah, thank you. So I'm really active on Instagram and my handle is at the joyful jewelry box. I am on Facebook, but I'm not there very often. <laughs> it feels <laughs> it's sort of interesting um doing this work. It feels a little more vulnerable there or something. But um on Instagram I'm a I'm an open book. Um or you can email me at the joyful jewelry box at gmail.com or my shop, you can view my shop at the joyful jewelry box.com. Um and just one little elaboration that I should have said a few minutes ago. Um, but in terms of it, if people are curious about what Remembrance and Memorial Jewelry is, for me personally, uh, my family symbol for my mom is dragonflies. And so that was a big piece of um, a big piece of our healing journey, I think, because it didn't take place until much later on. And then now it became sort of the symbol, this way to interact with her memory out in the world. Um, and so that's really what became an inspiration in terms of using other people's symbols. Are they butterflies, ladybugs, dragonflies, hawks, all those kinds of things, Pet, you know, dog being cat paws, and, um, and then I'll personalize them with initials and birth stones and things like that. And so it's really not only a physical extension of their memory out in the world, but, um, you know, even as I sit here and play with my mom's necklace that I'm wearing, you know, it's a tangible way to sort of um, just connect with something that's special to you, you know, and their memory and all of those things. So, um, yeah. And I love connecting with my community. I just love hearing about people's stories and, um, I'd love to hear anybody, any takeaways that anybody had, or just feel free to email me and reach out. Love to connect. Amazing. Thank you. And what you're doing is so beautiful. I think it's such a beautiful message and resource that you're putting out there to support others. Um, and I can't wait to get my hands on something myself. Thank <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure that so many people took so much away from this. I know that I definitely have. And I look forward to seeing what else, what else you create in the future. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Katrina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I invite you to also come and be a part of the community by connecting with us on Instagram at Grow With Grief. Before we go, I want to take the time to thank you. Thank you for tuning in and being part of a community that opens conversation, raises awareness and brings individual perspectives and stories to the forefront of a topic that is often avoided and treated as uncomfortable. The conversations that we have may sometimes bring your own emotions, memories and triggers to the surface and I want to encourage you to know that you are not alone. If you or anyone you care for is in need of support, please reach out to your local support line or if you are in Australia, you can contact Griefline by phone on 1300 845 745 who are available from midday to 3am every day.